0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, and we began it a few weeks ago. If you've been with us, you know that, and uh, this series is entitled Anchored. As we look at uh, how important it is for us to anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation, lest we drift downstream away from Him, um, that the danger exists for those of us in our Christian lives who have been believers for some period of time to not persist in our faith, um, and that carries with it some consequences. We'll talk a little bit more about that today, uh, but I want, um, you know, want, want us to kind of orient the fact that we're in this series on the book of Hebrews that we've called Anchored. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 11, as we're going to see a little more about what God has for us in there. But before we we get to Hebrews 4, uh, I wanted to begin by just uh, telling you a story. Uh, And this story is about a man named Phil Connors. And Phil Connors was a weatherman for uh, WPHB television in Philadelphia. And uh, Phil had been given an assignment by his television station to go out and report on a kind of a human interest story revolving around this groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil. And so Phil Connors was supposed to go to uh, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to see if a groundhog saw his shadow. And so he goes the night before, he stays in a nice little bed and breakfast, he wakes up the next morning, a little sunny and share playing on the radio. Uh, has some breakfast, goes out and reports on the story, and tries to go back to Philadelphia. But a, a massive snowstorm prevents him from leaving, and he ends back up at the inn where he'd stayed the night before. Well, the story gets a little more complicated from there because, uh, in, in a twist that only Edgar Allan Poe could have seen coming, uh, Phil wakes up the next day, reliving the day before. Uh, Sonny and Cher playing on the radio, the same breakfast, the same conversations, the same Groundhog Day, and he has to live it again. And, and you know what? He goes to bed that night, and guess what? The next day, Groundhog Day again. Sonny and Cher, the story, the same people, the same conversations. You know, Phil Connors found himself trapped in one day, and he soon came to realize that what he, the decisions he made today did not impact tomorrow. And At first, that was kind of fun for Phil because he thought, you know, if my decisions today do not impact my tomorrow, uh, then I'm going to have a lot of fun today. I'm going to eat way more than I should eat. I'm going to say things that you only think about saying, that you don't actually articulate because there's no consequences tomorrow for what I do today. I'm going to drive my car way too fast. I'm going to do all the things that we don't do because of fear of consequences because today does not impact tomorrow. But what Phil found after a while was that those kinds of decisions weren't all that satisfying. As a matter of fact, the the, the reality that today's decisions don't impact tomorrow led him all the way to to total despair. He ends up contemplating suicide. He drops a toaster in the bathtub. He um, drives off a cliff, whatever he can do to try to end his life, because he's thinking, if I could just break this cycle, what I do today doesn't impact tomorrow, and so my life has lost its meaning. But every day, the alarm goes off, Sonny and Cher are on the radio, and Phil gets back up. Well, this is the story of the 1993 movie, Groundhog Day, where Phil Connors is separating his actions of today from any impact on tomorrow. Now, I've got a point with all that, but before we get into the point of that, um, I want to talk about something else. I had a professor at seminary who said something that I thought was very profound. He, he said that we are all midgets sitting on the shoulders of giants. What he meant by that was that we, as believers in Christ today, we as theologians, we as students of the Scripture, sit on the shoulders of this incredible reservoir of theological truth that has been handed down to us. Sometimes we might want to think that our understanding of Scripture is a byproduct of just our brain and the spirit in our own Bibles. But the reality is that we're recipients of a lot of knowledge that is passed down to us from those who have gone before us, men like Augustine and Aquinas and and Luther and Calvin and Edwards and even people today that we read and listen to, Piper and MacArthur and Chandler, whoever, that we, we are recipients of a theology, has been handed down to us, and it's an incredible blessing to us. It, it's not something that we should run away from and be fearful of. It's, it's something that God has used to bring to us today an understanding of His Word. But one of the things that happens as people who are recipients of a theological tradition is that our understanding of Scripture through the lens of our theology sometimes blinds us from seeing truths that God clearly reveals in other parts of Scripture. There's times where we become so familiar with the, the pat answers of a theological position that we come to certain scriptures that just don't make any sense to us because we don't have any place for it to go. We don't have any hook on which to hang the truth that we see in scripture. And so we're left just kind of throwing our hands up. And you know, when I look at Hebrews chapter 4, I see one of those kinds of passages that can be problematic for us today uh, based on the theological tradition that we've received. We here at Wildwood, and, and, and many of you come from a tradition where, where we have, have emphasized the grace of God and the sovereignty of God, and this has been an awesome thing and a, and a truthful thing. The Scripture is full of truth about the sovereignty of God and the grace of God that lets us know that God's in control, that He's calling those unto salvation. Uh, that we are not saved by, on the basis of anything that we do, but fully on the work of Christ on the cross. These are all truths that we have received, that we, that we embrace, and that are incredibly uh, valuable to us. But sometimes in our focus on the grace of God, and our focus on the sovereignty of God, we become blinded to see what God would have us to understand about our responsibility in the outworking of our Christian lives. We become so focused on our identity in Christ that we fail to see what God is challenging us to in other places of Scripture. And, and when we get to that spot, we can become like Phil Connors, believing that our actions today do not impact tomorrow. And when that happens, we can become kind of despairing, despondent. We can think, my life doesn't matter. I'll do whatever I want to do. But the New Testament is not a a set of documents that God has given to encourage us to live our lives as though today does not impact tomorrow. The New Testament is a set of documents that God has given to challenge us that our lives today do matter, that living in disbelief and and, uh, disobedience today has an impact to the experience of our Christian life. And so, what we're going to look at today in... Hebrews chapter 4 is a passage that is challenging to us as far as our understanding of how our actions today impact the experience of our Christian life, both today and tomorrow. Um, And so, we're going to look at it together. So, if you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 4. And, you know, this is one of the most debated sections of the book of Hebrews. There, There are several sections of Hebrews that... Uh, theologians wrestle with and, and um, argue over, and Hebrews 4 is certainly one of those. And uh, what exactly Hebrews 4 is talking about is a difficult thing. I, I've wrestled with this uh, since I decided we were going to be doing a series on the book of Hebrews. But you know what? When, you, when you're pastoring and every week you, you have to stand up, at some point the deadline hits and we've got to do our best understanding of what this passage means and so um, I've been trusting God for direction on this, and I, I pray that it's encouraging for us today as we see some things about this passage. I want to read it and then um, make kind of a uh, set the stage for us, and then we're going to see a few things from the passage. Let's, let's read it Hebrews chapter 4, verse, verses 1 to 11. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, the context of these verses uh, is the context of the Exodus period in the history of Israel. If you remember, God initiated a relationship with uh, a group of people that became the nation of Israel through Abraham, and then and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and and this this nation eventually ended up enslaved in Egypt. And God came to Moses and said, "You're going to lead my people out of Egypt into a land that I will show you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey." And so. Moses left where he was and he went to Egypt and he led God's people out of Egypt and they began this march toward the land that God had promised them. But a funny thing happened on the way to the promised land and that was that God's people um, lost their faith. They lost their belief. They, they, They began to um, wane in what they believed God could deliver on His promise of giving them this land of milk and honey. And and the result was that they were not able to enter the promised land. Only a couple of people from that generation that left Egypt actually made it into the promised land. The rest died in, in the wilderness. And it's it's that backdrop of that story that the author of the book of Hebrews uses to talk about us as Christians and something that we can lose if we persist in unbelief and disobedience. And there are a couple of different options, a couple of different possibilities for understanding um, what this passage is ultimately talking about, who this passage is a warning to, uh, the groups of people that, that are at risk of losing something, um, in this in this passage well one one set of of thinking on this passage would see this passage and the warning therein referring to people that do not have salvation a challenge to those who um, ultimately what they will lose is their eternal inheritance of entering into heaven after this life is done, and that 's who this passage is warning, is saying that there will be, be people of whom this passage is relating to that won't experience eternal salvation. And, and there's kind of two possibilities of that group who think that this is talking about eternal salvation. One set of people would say that this is talking about people who at one time had experienced salvation, at one point had trusted in Christ, but now because they had not persisted in belief would not enter into heaven. That's one camp. An understanding of this. Another set of people would look at this and say, this is talking about unbelievers, but it's talking about people who will not experience salvation because though they are around the church, they never really embraced Christ. These are the people that Jesus says, you know, you will say, Lord, Lord, on that day, but I will say, I never knew you. There are people that are around the church, but are not truly engaged in a relationship with the Lord. There, there are some who would look at this passage and say that what is at stake is eternity, and it's for some that have at one time believed and now don't, and others who never really believed. But there's a second school of thinking on Hebrews chapter 4 that believes that what's at stake is not eternity, but what's at stake is kind of temporal blessings in the Christian life. Not not eternity, not the status of our relationship with God in terms of entrance into heaven, but some kind of other blessing uh, that could be lost if we don't persist in faith and obedience. Um, these can be divided into maybe two categories. Some would say that this is talking about um, a, a blessing that pertains to this life. In other words, if we do not persist in faith and obedience, that we will lose something in the here and now, but it won't impact eternity. Others would look at this and say that it is no, it's not talking about any kind of loss of Of blessing in the here and now, but it's talking about a loss of blessing in terms of a responsibility in the life to come, in the kingdom reign of Christ, of which we enter into after He returns. See, there's there's kind of these two main camps, and there's four varieties of opinion, and there's, there's gradations across that spectrum, but that just lets you know that there are people who take their Bible seriously, who have read and studied this passage, who have come to different positions of interpretation. Um, I'll tell you where I stand on it. I think of those four, there is one that is that is untenable in light of the rest of Scripture, and that is the position that these are people who have at one time experienced salvation and now have lost it. Uh, the, the Bible is quite clear that uh, we cannot lose what we did not earn. Our relationship with Christ has been established based on His work and not ours, And so it's there. I mean, the book of 2 Timothy even goes so far as to say even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny his own. So the position that this is talking about people that at one time experienced salvation but now have lost it, I don't think works within the light of the rest of Scripture. I think the other three options all are possible, but I think there's one that, that makes the most sense to me in light of the passage. And that is the idea that this is a situation of a loss of blessing in this life, there is an experience of the blessing of God that we can miss out on if we do not persist in faith and obedience. that if we begin to drift away from the rock of our salvation, that there are consequences that will develop. If, if we uh, forget that today impacts tomorrow in terms of the experience of our relationship with God, there are some consequences that we will go through. And I think that's what this passage. Is talking about. And, and the reason why I think that hopefully will become a little more clear as we dive in and look at some things that this passage reveals to us. Um, so we're going to see three things as we, as we plow our way through Hebrews 4 that will hopefully let us know a little bit about what's at stake and what we can lose or miss out on if we do not persist in faith. And, and all of them revolve around this idea of rest. So what is the rest that is talked about? Well, in in chapter 4, in verse 1, we find out some things about this rest. It says, first of all, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The first thing we see about this rest is that it is His rest. Whatever the rest that is talked about in Hebrews 4 is about. It's about a connection to Christ. It is His rest. It is something that is experienced with Him, and it's something that uh, receives blessing because He is the one who is giving the blessings. Uh, The rest that is talked about in Hebrews 4 that we are at risk of losing is something about our relationship with Christ. You know, it's interesting that the whole idea of rest is something that has been a part of God's economy from the very beginning. God desired us to relate to Him in a restful way, in a stable way. That's why at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and God walked with them and communicated with them in the cool of the day. That was a, a, a situation of rest. In and, and Hebrews 4 and some of the verses that we read earlier, it even, even talks about this, this picture of creation as a place of rest. The Garden of Eden as a a place of rest. When God initiated the Sabbath, when He rested from His creation of the world, it was was a part of an expression of relationship with His people. So when we think about what this rest is, it's something that is involving our experience of a close relationship with Christ. Not just the establishment of that relationship, but experientially relating to Him like God did with Adam and Eve, walking in the cool of the day. It's also His rest because it is about His blessing. You know, again, the, the context of this in the Old Testament backdrop of the verses in Hebrews 4 is uh, the period of the Exodus and the promise of the, of the promised land. Uh, the promised land was not a a place of eternity. It was a place of the here and now. God promised them this, this little sliver of land in Palestine. He called it the land flowing with milk and honey, a place where the borders would be protected and His people would be able to rest there, not having to fight for their freedom, but experiencing this free and open relationship with God, able to worship Him freely. Uh, the, the land uh, and the promise of the promised land was not something about eternity. It was something about today. It was something about this, this life that they were living And in the same way, as believers in Christ, we think about what has been promised to us, our inheritance. It's not a sliver of land in Palestine, but it's a a promised inheritance of many great things that the Lord has offered to us, things like forgiveness and and peace and, and hope. There are so many things that God has promised to us in this life in an experiential kind of a way. They're His rest. Well, it's interesting that He says that this rest is not just His rest, though, but it's His promised rest. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The idea is that this this rest is promised, but it's not an unconditional promise. It's a conditional promise in this life other words, God has offered to all believers an experience of relating to Him in rest, an experience of His peace dominating our life, an, ex- an experience of, of rest. But our experience of that rest today is conditional upon how we relate to Him. It says, let us fear that we, that we miss out on it. That's a conditional promise. See, this, this rest is His rest, but it's something that not every believer will experience in this life. It's conditional. It's also said that this rest is available currently. Look at what it says in verses 7 and 9. It says, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The idea here is that this rest is not talking about something in the past. In other words, it wasn't just talking about the gift of the promised land to Israel uh, at the time of the exodus and the conquest in the days of Joshua. It wasn't just talking about that. And it's not talking about something that is merely future that one day we will have an experience of the rest of God It's at some point in the future. But he says, no, it's, it's not yesterday, it's not tomorrow, it's today. Today there's the opportunity to experience the rest of God. This is, this is why I, I see this as talking about uh, something related to a loss of blessing in our life today, a loss of experience of this rest today, because he, he makes a big deal about today. Now, uh, certainly It has implications that are ongoing into our relationship with God in the future. I mean, the the most full expression of our rest in Christ will be after we leave this planet and and usher into His presence. But I think the emphasis of Hebrews 4 is not talking about just looking to the future, but it's talking about today. There's an urgency to His comment. There is a, a directness to it that is challenging the Hebrews, and it's challenging us that our experience of the rest of God uh, is, is not just something for tomorrow, but it's something that impacts our today. Another thing that we see about it is that this rest is, is really rest. I mean, look at what it says in verse 10. It says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, this, this rest that we experience from God allows us to experience freedom from, from having to do certain things. So when we're entering into the rest of God, we don't have to work to impress God. When we enter into the rest of God, we don't have to to work to establish a relationship with Him. When we enter into a relationship with God, we don't have to to, to worry about our value being determined by a public opinion poll or what others think of us. See, there's there's a rest that is found as we relate to God that is available to Christians where we can rest from so much of what consumes us and rest in the stability that is found as we relate to him. And it's interesting to note that this this rest that is offered for us uh, in in Christ is not something that is dependent upon circumstances. As a matter of fact, the Hebrews were living in a difficult world. We know historically they were dealing with persecution and, and various other things. It wasn't that their rest meant that their life was wealthy, healthy, and prosperous. It's just that they had access to a peace in Christ that went beyond understanding. This is what Paul was talking about, uh, I believe, over in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, when he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, it's not, it's not world peace. They're down 3-1. It is a, it is a peace. Sorry. Uh, any Laker fans here, I apologize. Um, it is the peace of God that is available to us. It's not something dependent upon our circumstances. It's something that goes much deeper than that. It allows us to relate to God um, in, a, in a state of rest. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but it is highly possible that you do not walk in today feeling restful. You feel battered. You feel challenged. You, you feel like all these difficult things are going on in life, etc. Um, what, a, what a balm to the soul to hear that we have the opportunity to experience rest today. Not that our circumstances change. We have the opportunity to have the peace of God rule over our hearts. But it's possible that we could miss it. Though that's the promise, it's possible that we could miss it. Remember, it's a conditional promise. And there's actually some things mentioned in the passage that are really rest stops. There are things that take us from a position of rest and place us in a position of distress. Uh, We see a few of them mentioned here. First of all, just to to underline the fact, it says in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There's a sense where we should fear missing out on, not one day, but today, an experience of the rest of God. It's possible for us to miss it. Well, what are the things that would stop us from experiencing the rest of God? Well, there's a few things that are mentioned, two of them, uh, to be exact. The first one is unbelief. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The problem is... Not information, the problem is belief. Think about, again, the the, the picture was uh, the Old Testament uh, exodus and conquest of the land. And Those people in Israel at that time were experiencing this incredible gift of revelation from God. Moses went up on the mountain, he came down with the commandments, he met with the Lord in the tent of meeting, He, he wrote the first five books of our Bible. They had a lot of revelation and that revelation included promise that the land would be theirs, that this land flowing with milk and honey would be possessed and owned as an inheritance to the people of Israel. And and a time came after they had walked through the Red Sea and they were headed towards the promised land that they were going to go in and take possession. And so they, they elect some spies to go into the land and look and see what was there. And they went into the land and they looked and they came back and all the spies save two said what? Great land, looks good. Big, big grapes and olives, and it's really a wonderful place. But we will never take possession of it because the people there are too big and strong. What was their problem? Was their problem that God had not shared with them an encouraging word? Was there a problem that God had not revealed to them His will? No, but they refused to believe that God was powerful enough to make good on his promise. They, they did not believe that God could give them a land that was inhabited by people as powerful as the ones that lived in, in uh, Palestine. Their problem was a problem of unbelief. And because their problem was a problem of unbelief, the promise of God did not benefit them, is what verse 2 says. This is the idea that though they had this promise, they did not get to experience in this life living in Palestine. It doesn't say that they did not enter into any kind of eternal relationship with God or that God stopped his promises with Israel. Absolutely not. What it says is they did not get to move into the land. They did not get benefit of the promise of taking possession of the land because they did not believe. And that's exactly what happened. They all save... Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness, Moses included, because of the problem of unbelief. And the issue comes for us that we also can risk missing out on our experience of the rest of God today if we do not believe, a lack of belief. Um, And and a good example of that would be um, thinking about the issue of our forgiveness. Uh, You could pick many examples, but let's, let's think about our forgiveness. See, if you're a believer in Christ, at some point you have come to a belief that the death of Christ on the cross was a sufficient payment to take the penalty for all of the sin that you have ever or will ever commit. And that our hope for eternity is found not in what we do, but in what Christ did in a definitive work on the cross. If you have come into a relationship with God, then you believe you're forgiven because you're trusting in um, the work of Christ, and and because of that, and, and at some point in the past, when you when you began in that line of belief, you believe that you have an eternal relationship with God because of that, because of that that belief. But here's the thing: why is it, even though we believe that, why is it that we struggle with it so much? You know, there are many many Christians, uh, me included, at different times that that, that beat ourselves up over things that we did in the past. We beat ourselves up. We do not experience the rest of forgiveness because we feel like God is still holding it against us. What what is what is happening when we do that? God has revealed to us a truth that we are failing to fully believe, therefore we're not having the benefit of experiencing that peace and rest. See, the the reality is we can miss out on the rest that God offers us if we fail to believe, not as a one-time event, but as a daily event. If you're experiencing unrest right now and distress, it is possible that it's because there is some place where your beliefs in God are are lacking. You're lacking trust. I'm not talking about your circumstances. I'm talking about the condition of your soul it's possible that you're experiencing distress today because you're not believing something that God has promised you. And because of that, it's, it's not giving you benefit today. One of the things that can prevent us is that of unbelief. The second thing that can prevent us, though, is that of, of disobedience. Look at what it says in, in 4.6. It says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. See, the problem with Israel and their experience of rest was that they failed to believe, or they, they failed to obey. Uh, think about the ongoing history of the nation of Israel. Think of the, the history of the, the, the period of the book of Judges. See, even after they occupied the land, Israel would disobey. They would raise up an idol to another god, and God would discipline them. Their, their disobedience uh, led to them not having, a, having an experience of rest. Their disobedience put them in a place of being disciplined by God because He loved them and He didn't want to see them persist in disobedience. And the reality is for our lives, we can miss out on an experience of God's rest in our lives today if we fail to obey Him. Uh, There are consequences that come into our lives as the natural outflow of sin which disrupt the experience of our Sabbath, that disrupt the experience of our rest. Uh, you know, you don't need to think too hard, or too far, or expand your rolodex too, too with too many other lives, or even your own life, to see that there are consequences that come from our sin. That disrupts our rest. See, our experience of rest can be stopped through unbelief and through disobedience. So that said, what? how can we be encouraged? What should we do in response? Well, in this, uh, in this section of Scripture, I think there are three things that are shared with us that help us know what it means to rest, That give us tips on, on resting. What are some of the things that we can do as we respond to this? Well, one of those things is found back in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are, are talking about the exact same thing. So, when we look at chapter 3, 12 and 13, it's, it's, it's appropriate for us to apply that in light of what we saw in chapter 4. And what we see in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, is that one of the things we can do to enhance our experience of rest is to exhort one another. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, what this passage is telling us is that one of the ways in which we can rest and we can not persist in unbelief and disobedience is that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and exhort one another to live out the things that we say we believe. And, and what's interesting is, remember, this is a, a passage of scripture that is written to people that have been believers for for quite some time. And and sometimes, we, if we've been a believer for a while, we begin to think that it's not all that important for us to gather together with other believers. We think, you know what? I don't really need to, to go to church today. I don't even really need to go to church for a while because, you know, I've, I've kind of I've heard a lot of messages. I've, I've sung a lot of songs. I've kind of been there, done that. You put me into context, I could probably tell you pretty much what he's going to say. I don't need to be a part of that small group. I've, I've already heard it. I've already done that. I've already whatever. You know, here's the, here's the mistake. The mistake in thinking that way is this. We think our problem is information. Our problem is not information. Our problem is living that out. And, and in order to live out the information that we've seen in belief and in obedience, we need other brothers and sisters around us who can exhort us and call us up. We have to have it. Because we have blind spots to our own sin. Our heart can become hard. In other words, it doesn't become sensitive to certain activities because we become so familiar with ourselves. I don't know what your plan is or what your your practice is as it relates to as it relates to, to to Christian community, but you need to have one. I don't care if you've been a believer for ten minutes or for ten thousand years. You need others. You need to make it a priority to gather together, whether it be in a in services, but especially in smaller groups, in a Sunday morning group, and a home group whatever you need to have an experience of community because not not because we need information we do need information but we need exhortation to live into that one of the things we can do in order to experience rest is we can gather together and it's, it's interesting what what is one of the, the reasons why we don't experience uh, don't experience community we think that we're too busy we think that we would experience better rest by other things but the reality is that engaging with others allows us to experience a rest, not just from our calendars, but rest in our soul. Second thing that we see is that we need to have a sense of urgency. We saw this in verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, our problem when it comes to our understanding of Scripture is. Sometimes we lose any sense of time. We 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 become so familiar with this understanding of eternity that we fail to realize that there's an urgency to our lives. Uh, Our our understanding of eternity helps us as it relates to struggles, because we think we can call a struggle a momentary light affliction, because in light of eternity it is. That's an encouraging side. But the difficulty can come is if we think only of eternity, we can lose all sense of urgency to our Christian life. And so when we think of, you know, God is convicting me, I need to to do something in response to this, I'll do that someday. I'll do that after this experience is over. I'll do that after. I'll do that in the summer. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next year. I'll do it. In ten years, I'll do it after the kids leave. I'll do it whenever we, we we lose all sense of timeliness. And yet, this passage calls us back to urgency. It says, "Not someday, but today. Today, make it a priority to obey and to believe." What what is is that something that you struggle with? You know, do you, do you struggle with this idea of timeliness? You you need to remember that word, that little word. Remember, nothing else from the. Just remember that? Today. Today, today, today. God's will for you is not someday, it's today. For you to respond today. Third thing that's helpful to us is it's a reminder that we are to work hard. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's a call to strive for rest. Now, this is totally counterintuitive. We think of resting as a ceasing of activity, and in some ways it is, right? We talked about that earlier. But rest is something that we have to work for. We find peace in our soul when we strive to follow the Lord. You want to know the Word of God better? Read it. You want to pray um, more? Pray. You want to have deeper levels of fellowship? Meet more regularly and be more vulnerable strive and work towards these things. It's it's not that God just does it magically, but we're encouraged and admonished to strive for this rest. See, in Hebrews 4, we're challenged that we can miss out on something that we desperately desire. We desire an experience of this It's my prayer that as we read this today, we would be challenged to lean into it, We'd be challenged to obey and to believe. And in so doing, that this might be a place of rest within our souls. Let me pray. As I pray, I invite the worship team to come on up. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today, and thank you for the hope that you have given us in Christ. Father, I pray that we would be people of belief, and that we would be people of obedience, and that in so doing, we would experience the Sabbath rest that you promise. We thank you, and we pray these things. Jesus' mighty name.